oh, isn't that crazy? I mean, who would think, in what circumstance, what situation would ever be appropriate for your doctor to recommend a certain brand of cigarettes, right? I mean, that in, in today's world, that would be so outrageous and so hypocritical that you would never even, you know, want to know that your doctor did something like that. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. I keep a close eye on this heart of mine. Hey, darling. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. Excuse me, Aaron. <laughs> what, what are you doing? I'm Johnny Cash. <laughs> I am the man in black. No. I'm from Folsom Prison, if you can't tell. I'm Johnny Cash. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Because you're mine, I walk the line. Hey, Aaron. Aaron. Johnny's. Johnny's dead. Oh, man. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, man. Why do I but even it's, try? You're, I'm, you're, you're just, you're not Johnny Cash. You're... <laughs> Doctors usually don't smoke. That's not Johnny Cash. He can pretend to be, and he can sound like him through the miracle of our technological help. <laughs> but he's not. And in the same way, some of you who say you are, are not Christians. Last week I showed you a piece of my dive equipment, and that was uh, my, my goggles. And I showed you... Um, Oaken's little swim goggles, which he's gotten back, and uh, these help me to be able to see at great depths. I've been down 110 feet in these. Today I brought you some more little gadgets. You know, this, these are my fins, and these are some really pretty good ones there. It's kind of like golf or any other sport. You know, there's always new technology, and you always buy the latest and greatest thing that's going to help you just a little more and do a little better. Uh, so th these are not the, the newest, but they're fairly new. And, and w w when the first time, you know, when you first learn how to dive and you, you put these on on the dive boat or wherever you are and, and you walk around in them, and I don't know if you ever try to do that, but it's just really, really awkward because these were not made to walk on land with. And you put these on and you walk and we, you find out pretty quickly, particularly if you're doing a shore dive, it's better to walk backwards. You can get around easier if you do this, but it's just weird. Because it's not made for that. It's made to go under. But once you're in the water, I had these on a couple of weeks ago. We went to the lake, and uh, there's a place at Loudon that's right next to a golf course, and it's pretty shallow, and you can dive down and get golf balls, and they're free. So we are a pretty cheap family, and that's what we do. So I, um, I had them on then, and, you know, you just move so effortlessly through the water, and you can go deep, you can go far, and it's not nearly as much energy that you have to expend when you do that. 
And the same thing is true when the Holy Spirit is living in your life and you are a genuine, authentic Christian. You're not going to have to be putting all this energy into it. It's not going to feel awkward. It's not going to feel weird. It's going to feel perfectly natural to be who you are. But how do you know? How do you tell if somebody is a real Christian? Just put one of those fish stickers on the back of your truck. Uh, you have a Bible on your desk. That was one of the clues to my coworkers when I first started walking with the Lord is I kept one on my art table next to me. Is it that they don't use bad words or they go to church a lot? <laughs> I mean, some of those things, maybe that gives you an idea, but the problem is lots of people don't swear. Lots of people go to church. Are they all Christians? I mean, I wondered about that, especially when I first started visiting churches. And I checked out all denominations and sizes because I was real curious about this thing. Jesus said one time that people will know we're his disciples if we love. Maybe that's it. Is that it? But, you know, I find that lots of people are loving. We could say a real Christian is someone who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that's probably a good definitive answer. But sometimes that takes us off in different directions. And as I mentioned last week, I've baptized a lot of teenagers and adults who thought they became a Christian when they were five, six, seven, eight years old and realized later, I had no idea what I was doing or I thought I did, but I didn't understand how huge this thing of sin really is. And, and I, I don't think that was real for me. You know that uh, it's not just praying a prayer. It's not just raising your hand in church or coming forward. There's something deeper and stronger and more real uh, than that. Do you know that three out of four Americans identify themselves as Christian? Do you believe that? Three-fourths of our population? Uh, how do you know? How do you know if you're really a Christian? How do you know if you are one? We're looking in the New Testament at a little book toward the back. It's 1 John. It's John's first of letters, and John spoke simply and plainly, uh, and he stayed on course. And we're learning what it means to dive deep in our faith. Because shouldn't there be something more distinctive about a real, authentic Christian? Something more genuine, something, you know, and we hear this excuse, and I used this excuse, to be honest with you, for a long time. Uh, I, what, why do I need Jesus? Why do I need that? Because I go down to the church, and I see all those hypocrites. I had somebody mention that this past week. Well, the, uh, they don't come. All the hypocrites. And I, and I started coming to church, and I found out they were right. <laughs> There's a lot of hypocrites. You know, that, that didn't satisfy me, though, even though I thought, okay, there's a lot of hypocrites at Nayland Stadium. Sometimes I see people boo our coaches or boo our players, and I think, you're not a real fan, you hypocrite. You know, I mean, I see people who eat at restaurants, and, and sometimes they don't like it, and I think, you're not a real foodie like me. Or you, I mean, you know, there's hypocrites everywhere you go. Does that stop me, or does that, does that make a difference? Where is the, the truth? 
Those are exactly the questions that John is addressing in this little letter. Now, remember what we said last week. He's writing 50 years, you know, after Jesus lived. So they, they never met the historical Jesus. They're two or three generations removed, like many of us, um, from, from the beginning of that faith. So they're starting to question things. They're starting to wonder, is this real? And was he who they say he was? I don't know if I'm experiencing the fullness of Christ and this joy that people talk about when they know Jesus. So they're, they're wondering, just like the rest of us, how do you know if you're a real Christian? How do you know if somebody else is a real Christian? Real Christian? And, and in this letter, John proposes three tests that reveal whether or not a person is truly a, question, a, a Christian. And, and I'm just going to ask you just to, just to write the question part down to these and ask yourself today or even later, just get before the Lord and say, God, I need the answers to these three questions. First of all, the first test was the doctrinal test. What is it that you believe? I believe in Jesus. We just sang about that. That's some of the best songs we've done. And, you know, I mean, I just I love the music today. Powerful words. And I, and I realize and reaffirm today, Jesus, I believe in you, and I believe you are the only way to the Father. And I embrace that. I embrace the truth of Scripture. There's the doctrinal test. What do you believe? The second test is the ethical test. How do you live? And this is the one we're going to focus on a little bit more intently today. How do you live your life? And the third question is dealing with the relational test. Who do you love? Who do you love? What's happened in your heart since you've made this claim or this, uh, this step in faith toward Jesus? My heart changed. I began to love people in a fresh new way, and I began to love people I didn't love before, and I began to love in a genuine, unselfish way in some circumstances that surprised even me. So these are John's three tests, and the entire letter uh, is organized around these three tests. John goes back and forth. You know, he deals with one, and you think he's left it, and then he comes back and he talks about these issues all throughout uh, this letter. The first topic or test that he introduces, this ethical test, how do you live, uh, is the one we'll deal with. Let's follow John's reasoning as he takes us deeper in our understanding of what it means to be a real follower of Christ, a real Christian. I think everybody has a slightly different idea, right, about what it means to go deeper in faith and I'll be honest with you, I have different ideas at different moments, or there's different phases of my Christian experience. Uh, sometimes it was influenced by what church I was in, or who I was hanging out with, or what was the last book I read, or a conference I went to, you know, where they said, this is it, this is the secret, this is the big deal about Christianity. And uh, well, I think, wow, he's, he's right, and that's the way I'm going to go. Some people think it's just a, it's a deeper knowledge of the Bible. And so that's what we go for. I'm looking for meaty sermons, and I want a lot of Greek words, and I want cross-references. And, you know, I think the next series you do should be a slow, verse-by-verse exposition of Leviticus. This church hadn't had that, you know. And some of us, were wired that way. We're thinking, that's what's going to do it. If you could unlock the mysteries of the Revelation and maybe spend a year on that. Others... It's a deeper experience with Christ. And I have leaned into this several times in, in my life. There's a little bit of a mystic in me somewhere. We want this deeper intimacy, this fullness of the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, and sometimes we think that comes through experience. We, we think there are these defining moments. So we, we want more prayer, more worship, more teaching. We want to fast more often. We want to do things that we think this is going to draw me uh, into Christ. Uh, deeper knowledge, deeper intimacy, deeper practices. Some people think, well, you just got to do the deal. You just kind of check off the list every day. And real Christians get very serious about that. I had a roommate in college. He was incredibly disciplined and all with good intentions. Uh, but, but it led him eventually into just a real legalistic kind of a lifestyle. You've got to do this, 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 and this, this, and this, and this, or you're not a Christian, or you're not getting it today, and this is the path. This is what's going to take you deeper into Christ. I, I think there's value in it, but I'm not sure if that's it. You know, it's funny. John doesn't start with any of these. I want you to check this out. The first thing John says is sort of like this. You want to go deeper? You really want to dive deep? Let me tell you what you do. Stop sinning. What? Yeah. Stop it. That's not exactly what I was hoping to hear, you know. I mean, it's not at least right away. I mean, there's nothing new about that, and there's not, certainly nothing exciting about it. It's what your mom was telling you before you ever went to school, you know. Uh, but that's where John begins. He says, if you call yourself a Christian, really? And start living like one. I had some friends to pull me aside once, and I was a fairly new Christian, and I didn't get the lifestyle difference, and I just kept rocking along with a lot of the things I was doing and talking the way I talked, and some of it I was kind of aware of, but some I was just so, uh, so out there, I didn't know. You know and they'd pull me aside and go, hey, Dan, knock it off. You say you're going to be a Christian? Yeah. Well, then why don't you act like one? It kind of hurt my feelings, kind of made me mad a little bit, but they were right. John begins with this declaration in verse 5 when he says this. And this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. There's nothing new about that statement. Most of us, you think, I've heard that. I'm kind of I'm familiar with that. And it would have been very familiar to the Jewish listeners when this was first uh, you know, written and when John first threw this out there, because light was used all throughout Scripture to, to speak of the holiness of God. And, and people got that concept. It would have been a familiar expression even to his Greek readers because it was a metaphor in both worlds for higher truth and spiritual discovery. And, and it fit in all the cultures. Everybody got that. Light. But apparently there were some false teachers around who began to blend these two thoughts together, offering people spiritual enlightenment, and they said it comes through secret knowledge. It comes through these mystical experiences. When I first began to hang out with some Christians, and I hung, and, and the group of people I hung out with, most of them were not Christians. Uh, but then I began to kind of filter over to the more, like, spiritual side of the group. You know what I'm talking about? If you've got, like, 20 people in your associations. This is back in the day before Facebook. You only had, like, 20 friends. You didn't have, like, you know, 500. Um, but we did actually all know each other and, and hang out. And, and, and we knew each other's dogs' names and things. And, you know, there were the people who were just like, I don't get it. There's nothing out there. And then there, I had a 
friend who was Catholic, and I had a friend who was uh, Baptist and Methodist, and I had, a, I had a friend, I'm not sure exactly what he was, but he's very mystical. And he would always lean in, you know, he would always say, hey, Dan, have you received the baptism? What? The baptism of the Holy Spirit? No, I don't think so. He'd go, oh. What? No. And then later, I said, okay, I'm going to do that. I want to do that. Have you ever spoken in tongues? I said, no. You mean kind of like this? He goes, no, 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 not that, not that. Well, you need to, you're not there yet. And over here, I've got this person saying, hey, Dan, just do this and this, and boom, you're done. Let's go. We're out of here. And there's all these experiences in between. And this is you know, something we're used to, right? We're used to these different ideas and these different doctrinal paths. But this was new in this century. And John's writing was to confront some of the heresy that began to grow and rise up in the church, especially one form of it called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is from a Greek word that means to know. And Gnostics became a real problem in the early church as believers went off in search of deeper truths and more real experiences. And a lot of them came to believe this, that spirituality was the only thing that mattered. Material things aren't important. So they continued to reason then that only what happened with you spiritually was important. What you did with your body didn't count. Our spiritual selves and our physical selves are really two different entities. So, they would just do all kinds of things and not worry about it. And there is, in the church today, a, a, a form of Gnosticism, of splitting ourselves in two. And it's found its way, again and again, all throughout history, into, into our life. People who are confident in grace uh, and their security... Uh, to the degree that they live carelessly and they knowingly sin, depending on this almost medieval view of forgiveness. Yeah, I can do whatever I want. God's going to forgive me, right? So what's the big deal? Or it doesn't really matter. God knows I love him, and I prayed that prayer. I talked to a guy on his deathbed who had lived this hellish, wild life all of his life. On his deathbed, he goes, Well, I'm sure glad I prayed that prayer when I was 13 years old. You're depending on something you recited after a guy? After you heard a couple of sad stories? You're, you're risking all of eternity? Well, yeah, you pray that prayer, right? Like it's a magic formula or something? You, I said, wow. Recent issue of Christianity Today was really interesting, kind of an intriguing. It was actually the cover story. It's called Hipster Faith, What Happens When Cool Meets Christ. And the article explores this movement among younger evangelicals who want to shed, you know, and just get rid of some of the, the trappings of mainstream baby boomer kind of Christians. You know, where there's bumper stickers and mega churches and we're all right-wing politics. And, you know, and it's like, okay, we, we, we don't, we don't want to do it that way. And we think you guys are cheesy and we, we want a grittier, more relevant, action-oriented faith. We want to worship loud. We want, you know, we want something different. 
And I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of in between. I'm like on the tail end of the boomer generation, but I'm kind of an early adopter. So I, I get that there's a lot of beautiful things about this movement. And, it, and there's so much within it that I have prayed for for years for the church to be awakened, for us to be passionate. But there's also just some disturbing uh, ingredients to, to this that, that bother me. I'm just sharing my heart. There's this new breed of Christians that seem to think, well, as long as we're involved with social justice, you know, as long as I'm out, I'm doing stuff for homeless people, or I'm going somewhere on a trip, I'm doing something, and I've got this unplugged, authentic worship that's real with good words, then my drinking, my swearing, my sexual sins, those aren't really that big a deal. And it all fits comfortably in the same package. I don't want to make you mad, but that's where some of you are living right now. And I think John would have problems with that. He would have problems with my generation, too, with the boomer Christians and with the hipster faith. We can't separate spiritual from material, from belief from behavior. But we, we try to. There's something in us. It's more than what we do with our bodies, but it's not just what we do with our souls. So John takes this word, light, that means so much to his readers, and he sort of turns it back on them. And he reminds them, hey, light is not just about knowledge. It's not just about how much you know about the Bible. It's also about your conduct. We get uncomfortable. God isn't light because he's spiritual. He's light because he's holy. And his people are called out to be holy. If you want to go deeper, you've got to be holy. Look at verse 6. If we say, if we keep telling people is what that really means, if we keep claiming, I'm a, I got the card, I'm in, we have fellowship with him, and we walk in darkness. Now, John is not real subtle, okay? There's a lot of beautiful, a lot of lovely things about John's personality, but here's what he says. We're lying. We're not practicing the truth. He gets even rougher in a minute. But he says we're lying. We don't live by the truth. It's, it's literally translated, we do not do the truth. Translators felt like that was a little awkward to talk about doing truth. How do you do truth? You either say it or you hear it, you know. But that's exactly John's point. You see, we think of truth as something we know. John says, no, truth is something you do. Don't tell me what you think. Don't tell me what you believe. Show me. Show me. So John introduces this ethical test early on in this letter, and he moves on to some other topics. But in chapter 2, he comes back, he dives a little deeper, and and he hammers this again. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. It says, This is how we're sure that we've come to know him, by keeping his commandments. The one who says, I've come to know him, without keeping his commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is perfected. And this is how we know that we're in him. The one who says that he remains in him should walk just as he walked. That's it. We know we've come to know him. And John uses words like know and truth and words that we associate with going deeper, and he turns them into behaviors. 
He says, you don't look at porn all Saturday night and then get up and come to church and pretend you're a Christian on Sunday morning. He says, you don't, you, it matters how you live. And he says, if you keep doing this and you keep doing this and you keep doing this and you say you're a Christian, John says, excuse me, you're a liar. I think, could you dial that back a little bit? <laughs> I mean, couldn't you be nice and politically correct and say, I think you're, you, you've, you've miscommunicated, or perhaps you're, not John, not John you, know, you liar. He just, and I was so fortunate early in my Christian life to be around some Christians who had some of this John kind of thing going on. They go, hey, Dan, shut up. Because I would still, even as a believer, go, but you know, and I'd always make it into some metaphysical thing. I think it was too much Beatles music, or I, I don't know. I would say, you know, it's this. And they go, what are you talking about? That's stupid. The Bible says, you know, and it began pushing me deeper and deeper into Scripture and the truths from it. John doesn't say not to read Scripture and not to study, but he says don't just ask people what they believe. And that's what we have, as Americans particularly, reduced Christianity to what do you believe. Okay, that makes you a Christian. John says, don't give me any of that. I want to see how you live. Look at how you live. In fact, John says if somebody claims to be a Christian, they don't do it, liar, liar, pants on fire. And that's pretty harsh, right? I mean, that's, we didn't even let our kids use that word growing up. We wouldn't even let them say it. John has it in the Bible. And calling somebody a liar, at least in my world, that's pretty serious business if you go that far. But that's exactly how serious John is about obeying God's commandments. Unfortunately, and I'm not picking on just contemporary Christians, but I just see it there a lot, that there's not a connection being made between lifestyle and what we believe. I read this disturbing Barna poll that was taken in 2007, just a couple of three years ago, comparing the behavior of people who said they're born-again Christians, that was the category, and people who said they weren't, the rest of the population. And these were people who said, and the criteria they had to kind of read through, they've accepted Christ as their Savior, and they believed the Bible was God's Word. Listen to this. The survey found that over a 30-day period, these self-identified Christians were nearly as likely as anyone else to gamble, visit a pornographic website, take something that didn't belong to them, physically fight or abuse someone, drink too much, use an illegal drug, said something that wasn't true, gotten back at someone for something they did and have said mean things behind someone else's back. They're just a shade apart. And I think that's John's problem. Personally, I don't think the reality of the situation is that bad. I mean, I'm kind of I'm a glass, half full glass kind of guy and I think, we're not that bad. Please tell me that, 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 that he just picked some bad Christians or something. But the, the gap is there. Folks, it's just that the belief and behavior of a lot of people who call themselves Christians creates a lot of tension. John would have a problem with that. Down in verse 6, he says, Whoever claims to live in him needs to walk as Jesus walked. That's why I chose the, the song, I Walk the Line, because it's kind of like this double meaning for me. If he's mine, if, Jesus, if I really say, yeah, Jesus is mine and I'm his, I've got to walk the line. Does it matter how I live? Yeah. Actually, it does. It does. And I didn't mean to say that real smarty like that, but, you know, it, it does. 
our walk should match our talk. And if we talk about Jesus on Sunday, then we need to live for Jesus the rest of the week. Guys, what does that mean exactly? I mean, how do, how do I, as a 21st century Christian, walk as Jesus walked? How do, how do I do that? It reminds me of the bracelet I used to wear, WWJD. You know, and one day I took it off because I realized, what would Jesus do? I have no idea. <laughs> he would walk out on the water. Uh, he would heal people. He would, he would say this. He would do that. He would curse a fig tree. <laughs> Can you imagine what Kathy would do to me if I cursed the fig tree? I, oh, my goodness, we've been counseling for months and months. So I don't know what Jesus would do. So a better question is, what would Jesus do if he were me? Oh, now that makes sense. If I were a middle manager, you know, if, if I were, you know, in one of the companies around Knoxville, what kind of manager would I be? Would I talk behind my boss's back? Would I lead rebellions? Would I form little coalitions? Uh, would I make unreasonable demands on the people under me so to make myself look good and bump the numbers up before the end of the month? Would I do the bare minimum to get by? Would I sneak past the clock? Would I pad my expense account? What would I do if Jesus were a parent? What kind of parent would he be? What kind of TV shows would he let his kids watch? What kind of video games would he buy them? How attentive would he be to their health and their homework and their friends and where they are right now? How often would he read with them and pray with them if Jesus were a parent? If Jesus were at the University of Tennessee, if he were a freshman, what kind of student would he be? How would he treat others? How hard would he study? How hard would he practice? What parties would he go to? Which conversations would he just walk away from? You get the idea. Think through your daily life. What would Jesus do if he were you? Now, I've been praying this secret prayer, and I'm just going to let it out of the bag. I've been praying all week that that question would come back to your mind, even when you're not ready to ask it. Because I think this is what the Holy Spirit does to me, and if he does it to me, then I think he ought to do it to you too. You're in the middle of a conversation, you're in the middle of doing something, and this question comes to you, would Jesus be doing this if he were me? Would Jesus be watching this if he were me? Would Jesus be saying that if he were me? This is going to be a tough week. John goes on, and once again, he kind of leaves the subject of lifestyle for a minute, then he comes back to it later on with a vengeance. So let's follow him as he dives down a third time and pull it together in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. Little children, and by the way, that's not a demeaning term. It's a very affectionate term. It's a very sweet thing. Little children, this is one of the reasons I like John is because he's so affectionate. He's so intimate with his readers. Let no one deceive you. Don't get tricked. The one who does, circle that, what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin, <laughs> if you thought calling you a liar was rude, the one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who's been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He's not able to sin because he's been born of God. 
This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother. Could you be a little more blatant? <laughs> You're acting just like your daddy. Have you ever heard, did your parent ever say that? You know, and, you know, my children would take it as a compliment, of course. Kathy would always mean that in the, oh, just the most prideful way. But um, I think when John's saying it, that's not what he means. He says, oh, the reason you keep doing this? Because you're just like your daddy the devil. <laughs> your, your dad's the devil. Ah, whoa, John, you're drawing some pretty deep lines in the sand. I mean, come on, lighten up a little bit. You're either, John said, no, you're either in the light or you're in the dark. You're either living the truth or you are living like a liar. You're either a child of God or you're a child of Satan. Okay, there's another test. He says, and at least one of these tests, tests that John, John says, it's, it's ethical. It's how you live, and not just on Sunday, but every day. Notice John isn't saying that a real Christian never sins. Now, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. He's saying, and literally the language supports this, he's saying you can't go on sinning. You can't just sin and sin, where it's an habitual behavior. Because I'm not talking about you stumbled, you fail, you have these occasional lapses. We'll look at next week what, what happens when we do sin. We're going to talk about that next week. John's not expecting you to be perfect. But he is expecting progress. He, he does look at you and say, hey, you're not growing, and you had not been growing in years. And you've been doing this for a long time, and you don't seem to be willing to let it go. As we go with God, as we go deeper in our faith, it'll show up not only in our belief, but in our behavior. Now, I want to show you what this means and how it looks like, at least in, in my life. And if you've got a handout, if you would, get that out, and you can track along, and you can do your own little chart. I'm going to show you a drawing and you can see how this works in your life and it'll maybe kind of help you with one of the tests. John, I'm going to ask you if you would come up here and would you come up and help me? Um, I try not to pick guys as tall as you because it intimidates me, but since you're on the end of the row, uh, thank you. And if you would hold this end of this. And John, we're going to unroll this and let you hold the other end. And if y'all can kind of scoot back. Well, I made this really long. because I'm, oh, no, That's pretty, that's right. Yeah, and just kind of get over here in the middle and I will... Uh, I'll move this somewhere. What do, I, what do I do now? Okay, I'll put it over here. Um, so like me. Okay, I want you to do this with me because we've all got a life, right? And how does this work out practically in my life? How, how do I know I'm a Christian? I don't know. John has said some really strong statements today. I mean, he didn't pull any punches. Um, okay, here, here's the way it works. At one point in my life, um, I was born, okay? Uh, I was just a little baby. I was a beautiful baby. I was in St. Joseph Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. The nurses put Elvis on the tag at the end of the crib because I had a head full of black hair, and I was just so pretty. So um, at one point in my life, we were born. Everybody can do this on your chart because we were all born. We're going to have two things in common for all of our lives. We were all born, and then we began to do the most natural thing after that. We began to live, and so I live and I live, and I live, and I live. And that's going to continue, hopefully, for a, a little while. But eventually, there's going to come a time when I will stop living and I will die. 
okay? That, that there will come a time when my life will cease to beat, and so will yours. Two things that we all have in common. We were all born, we're all going to die. Nobody gets out alive. Nobody gets out alive. Now, I was living my life, and, and things were going pretty good, just kind of having a regular life, until I was about 11 years old. And a guy on my baseball team invited me to come to his church to an event, kind of like Boy Scouts, called Royal Ambassadors. And it was through that program, one Wednesday night, I'm climbing out of a window with a basketball, with a church basketball. Uh, I'm climbing out the window, and, and I hear a voice behind me. And I turned around, it's Mr. Carpenter. And Mr. Carpenter says, where are you going? Nowhere. <laughs> Why? I'm just going out the window with a basketball. What's the problem? We sit down on two metal folding chairs, and as far as I know, for the first time in my life, I hear the gospel. He tells me about Jesus. He invites me to come back the next week. I said, well, you know, I ride my bike, and it gets dark at night, and I have to go through the woods, and there's monsters in the woods. I, it's not going to work. He goes, I'll tell you what. He had a white Ford pickup truck. He said, if you stay next Wednesday night, we'll put your, truck in the, we'll put your bike in the back of my truck. I'll take you home, and you can stay. I said, okay. I stayed that night. They showed a Billy Graham film. At the end of the film, Billy Graham came on and he told how you could become a Christian. I prayed to receive Christ that night. I'll never forget the pastor coming, bringing me down front, and I'm standing there. I'm scared to death. I'd never been in a room, and I found out later it's this tiny little church, but to me it looked like you know, the Coliseum or, or you know, uh, uh, Thompson Bowling or something. It was just huge. And he said, what do you think's happened to me? And all of a sudden, it hit me. And I said, I think I've been saved. And everybody thought it was funny the way I said it, and they all laughed. And it embarrassed me so badly, I started crying. And so I'm standing there just in shambles, but my life changed, and it began to take a different path. And not only am I going to die one day, but the good news about death is that when I die, the Bible promises I'm going to go to heaven. That I won't actually die. That I'll continue to go to heaven. Now before that, I was on this path. Uh, and, and I'm not drawing it real good because these guys aren't holding it good. It's not my fault. It's, 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 um, I, would have, I would have had a whole different uh, uh, re result. And we're all going to die. That, that's not negotiable. You know you're going to die. You're not going to beat this. But I would have died and gone to hell. And I would have continued to exist there. But God interrupted that. God changed that. And I began a brand new existence. Now, I got to tell you, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So by the time I was 13, I found myself at a party. Somebody gave me something to smoke. I smoked it. I liked it. <laughs> it was different than stealing beer out of Daddy's cooler on camping trips. It was a whole, was a whole bump up. And, and, and I began to live at 13 years old in a, in a different way. And my path, you know, my actions, I began to live in, like I was still on that other path. And I lived like that until I was 19. At 19, I had this amazingly profound experience and over a period of just a week, a weekend, and I'd been thinking about spiritual things, but it was really just this, uh, from a Friday night to a Sunday night, just within that length of time, I came back to Jesus, like the prodigal son. I've always thought of myself like that. Um, that that uh, at 19, uh, I came back and got back on this path. And, I'm, and I've been on that path, you know, uh, uh, later I, I decided I'm going to go to college. And uh, God, six months later, God called me to ministry. A year later, uh, I, I met Kathy. She was chasing me all over campus. Um, 
she had, I had gotten her attention. She was a little rough and unsophisticated. I, I was, no, that's the, kind of the other way around. Um, and then I, I got, started working at a little church. I worked at another church, another church. I came to Calvary, you know, and then I uh, became pastor at Calvary, you know, and uh, you think, oh no, is he going to be here till he's dead? <laughs> oh, oh, God. oh Lord, we see where this is going. Help us. Um, but that's, you know, that's been sort of the trajectory of my life. Now, let me show you something. This time right here is a very questionable time. And I've struggled with this. Went to one of my seminary professors and I said, you know what? Was I saved then? I said, I'm, I'm an interim pastor at a church, but I'm not sure if my baptism was authentic, if it was on the right side of my salvation, and maybe I need to get baptized. I said, that's really going to confuse the people because I guess I'll have to baptize myself. You know? I said, I, you know, I, just, I could just see me on a Sunday morning. Today I'm going to preach on baptism, and I'm going to baptize me <laughs> because I, I, I hadn't done this yet. Sorry. And, uh, you know, and, or maybe I could let somebody else do it, but... It was just this uncertainty. What happened during this time? And we walked through this. Now, I still believe, and I've told you today, I believe that it was here that I really received Christ. And I lived in sin for all these years. And I did everything I could think of to do until this point. The thing is, I realized when I look back over my life, that all through this journey, particularly from here to here, I have been blessed. I have been blessed. I can't tell you how again and again and again and again and again that God has blessed me all during this path. And the curious thing is I looked back during this time of my life and I don't think there was a, there's ever been more loneliness and darkness and guilt and struggles with self-esteem and with everything around me as during this phase and I missed all these blessings and I can never get that back. And I so admire you guys who through your high school years you're honoring Christ. You're living for Jesus. You're not going to regret that. You may think, well, I want a testimony like that. I want no, you, no, you don't. You want to be able to look back and go, didn't miss any blessings. Got all the blessings. I may find out when I get to heaven, this is when I was saved. I may find out, and I tell you what, I'll be okay with it, and God may say, hey, you know, let me tell you something. But you remember back when you were on earth? That's really when you got saved. Because that's when you started keeping the commands. Let me ask you, what about you? What does your line look like? If you're a Christian, you call yourself a Christian and you're knowingly continuing to sin, John says, you may not be. Actually, John says, you're not. <laughs> He's not as nice as I am. John says, what you are is you're, you're Satan's son or daughter, your daddy's the devil, and you are a liar. Where are you? Thank you, guys. You can just, I tell you what, we'll just drop it. That'll be the easiest thing. 
and I uh, appreciate your help. That was excellent. You guys are amazing at that, so holding something up. Um, <laughs> and, and that's kind of what I want to leave you with today. Uh, you want to go deep, because I want you to go deep, and that's what this series is about. We're not playing. You know you're diving deep when your belief and your behaviors both are taking you closer to God. So what steps might the Lord want you to take to get you moving towards the deep end, towards the abundant life that God has for you? You may need to draw up all your courage on one Easter Sunday night. It took every ounce of courage I had to step out, and I started walking forward because my friend was, was down front, and a pastor I had gotten to know a little bit was down front, and I knelt on the stairs, and I said, God, I pray you'd make me like Mike. That was my prayer. Uh, something changed in me at that night. You may, take, and you may need some courage. There's nothing magical about walking up here or anything like that. But there may need to be a turning point in your life where you say, I'm not real. I'm, I'm a fake. Think about that for a minute. Then talk to God about it. Or it may, you may come to the place like I did. God, I really believe I am a Christian. I really, I, I, I am. But I need to repent. I need to repent. I have allowed sin to remain in my behavior. And I've even nurtured it and hid it and, and, and helped it along. And, and I've just become comfortable with it. And it just lives side by side with my beliefs. And I understand from Scripture today, God, you don't want me to live like that. I cannot live like that anymore. I'm missing blessings. I'm missing blessings. He desires to show you your heart and then to change it. Whichever of those two is reality for you. We're going to do a song together, and those are the two questions, and that's what I put out before you today. Where are you going to go from this minute forward? You're going to stay shallow? You're going to dive deep? Let's stand. Let's pray. Father, you have been very gracious with me and very, very loving, very, very kind. And I thank you for your patience. And Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness. That is just unbelievable. I pray you would extend that today to all of us within this room. There are some people whose hearts are thumping right now because they realize the reason this isn't working and the reason I'm having so many problems is I'm not a Christian. I don't know what happened to me when I was six years old, when I was five years old, and but I'm not a Christian. And there are some who will come to the conclusion, I really believe I'm in Christ, but this is so inappropriate. And the reason it's not working out for me, and the reason I'm always struggling and always in turmoil, is because I've just let sin creep in, and I've let it become more important to me than my walk with you. Father, I pray that by your grace today, we would release that. We would repent and come to you and watch what happens. I was amazed when you began to bless. I, was, I, I thought, I've been missing out on this all this time, just acting religious. Father, don't let us leave this room being liars anymore. Don't let us leave this room without Jesus. Thank you for today. Thank you for John being so tough, but wrapped in that so much love. So much love. We dive deep now, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name. If you need to talk to somebody or pray with somebody, we've got folks here.
you need us to leave you alone, we absolutely will respect that. But this is a moment for you to make some decisions. Thank you.